This Week in Startups is brought to you by Squarespace. Turn your idea into a new website. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code TWIST to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Trends by The Hustle. Track and capitalize on emerging industries and trends before they explode. Start your two-week trial for just $1 at trends.co slash twist. And Modloft, the only modern furniture brand that offers elite design, fair prices, and delivery in days, not months. See why founders, VCs, and celebrities choose Modloft. Get 15% off and free shipping at modloft.com slash twist. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome to This Week in Startups. It's your boy, Jay Cal, here in the summer of pandemic. It's uh, it's 2020, and uh, we're taping this on, I think, July 27th. We'll probably release it in the first week of August when you're listening to this, and it's a bit crazy. And one of the thing that's been uh, one of the things that's been really interesting is that our accelerator, the launch accelerator, where we invite seven companies, and we give them hundred k each, and they would come to San Francisco for twelve weeks and meet all the investment community here, had to switch gears, and we had to go a hundred percent remote. Now, just like colleges, uh, you have uh, good and bad things with remote learning. The good thing with remote learning is you don't have to commute. Uh, the bad thing is you're not in the room, so you don't get that high-touch experience. Um, the certain people do well in remote situations for learning. Others might not, different learning styles. But for an accelerator, some magical things happened. We had two, three times the number of investors show up every week because we weren't limited to just investors in the Bay Area. And we were able to run the program without having to have a physical space which we would beg, borrow, and steal and rent uh, in order to host it. Sometimes we'd host it at Neighborly. Sometimes we'd host it at uh, Fenwick and West, a law firm here who was gracious enough to host us. Host us Originally, IBM used to host it for us. So we had all these great friends who would host for us and allow us to use their spaces. And I was actually in the process of securing a 10,000-square-foot space. <laughs> and I was looking in November, December, and January at spaces and ready to pull the trigger. And then the pandemic happened. Thank God I didn't because I'd be sitting on that space. And nobody can get on plane. So what we found was two, three times the number of qualified companies started applying for the accelerator when we went fully remote. We extended the program four weeks, and we got three or four times the number of investors coming. And the companies who were coming were closing funding faster. And that really is the goal of an accelerator. Like most people are like, hmm, what do you get an accelerator? Most people would say advice. Well, that's kind of a commodity. It's you got medium, you got this podcast, you got books. I mean, there's a lot of information out there. Clever people can find it. Uh, so advice, mm, introductions, that's valid. Um, anointing, that's super valid. You know, when you go through a sorting process, be it Techstars, uh, Launch Accelerator, or Y Combinator, the investment community knows, well, those teams are pretty smart, and they sorted this big influx of applications down to the 1%, 2% uh, that they were going to select. And so that anointing does count to downstream investors. They look at it and go, hmm. If Jason and his team sorted this down and they put money in, they got skin in the game, uh, they don't want to have egg on their face, they don't want to pick companies that are weak, they want to pick the strongest companies, obviously they're trying to get a return on their dollar, and they don't want their name associated with anything weak, 
they're going to work hard. So we worked really hard in the accelerator. Long story short, uh, we're doing them uh, every month now. They're going great. They're going better than when we were in person. And we're having more companies who can participate because not fa face it, not everybody could get on a plane. Some people were located in Australia uh, or other countries. Other people had families or commitments that meant they couldn't make the trip or they simply didn't want to. Uh, and who can blame them? San Francisco is a mess. But we uh, have a very interesting approach uh, in our accelerator. One of the things we do is every week we say to the investors who come, tell us your number three, your number two, and your number one startup in the mind of an investor and uh, take us through why you pick that number one company. Now, this creates a little bit of tension, but it's a healthy tension in that nobody wants to get no votes and people really want to get votes and they want to win because people are competitive or you wouldn't be a founder to begin with. Third place gets you half a point. Second place gets you a point. The first place vote gets you two points. And so it's very dramatic when we go around the horn and 15 investors give their three, two, and one. And typically, you know, uh, everybody gets votes, but there become uh, some winners. And today we're going to talk to the Launch Accelerators 17th class, which I believe started in person and then uh, for three, two or three weeks and then went remote. So they were the transition class. And we're going to talk to the top three vote getters because we look at that and we chart it over the 12 to 14 weeks, now 16 weeks we do the accelerator. So people can see who's got the most cumulative points. Does that correlate with success in the future? We're going to find out over time, but it doesn't exactly correlate with fundraising. We've seen people who are number three or four be the top um, fundraising company. We've seen people who are number one or number two be the lowest in terms of revenue or towards the bottom in terms of revenue. So it really is um, not a perfect metric, but it does allow us to say to the investors, hey, I want you to really think about which one of these are the most fundable. First up in this cohort, number three in terms of scoring, not that that means anything of seven, uh, is Erin Carpenter. And she's with a company called Nude Bar, N-U-D-E, B-A-R-R-E, and they're in the direct-to-consumer space, which we find a very interesting category. Challenging, but we look for companies in D2C that are very strong in terms of the founder and product uh, fit. In other words, the founder really, really cares deeply about the product. Now, that's true in all startups, but we also look for a product that's very unique and an audience that maybe is either underserviced or is super passionate about the product. So welcome to the pod, Aaron Carpenter from Nude Bar. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well, Jason. How are about you? yourself? Uh, I'm losing my mind in quarantine, obviously. Uh, I hear you. I'm, I'm a super uh, social. Uh, but now you're in New York City or the area? I'm in New York City, Upper Manhattan. Upper Manhattan. Harlem, USA, to Har be exact. Exactly. <laughs> uh, anybody who's from New York, you have to give the specific neighborhood you're in. It's kind of, the borough is not enough detail level for any New Yorker. So uh, what's it, everybody's safe and uh, sound, I take it, and New York has gone back to some form of normalcy? Sort of. So stores are open, things of that sort, but it's still pretty quiet. And a lot of people have left the city. So oh. it's it's kind of, you know, ghost townish. Yeah, which, you know, is typically the case in August and late July anyway. So you might see people yep. come back, but it seems like a lot of people are moving out. Do you see the moving trucks and that phenomenon? And yeah, you hear people stories? are moving out. People yeah, are moving most, out. Most of my friends that have children have left the city there. They're, they're done. They're not, they were just looking for an excuse and they're just like pulled the ripcord. Yep. They're Very, not coming back. They're not coming back. <laughs> Very interesting. I, you know, there is a phenomenon when you have kids like, mm, 
maybe I uh, want a backyard. And then when you're stuck in your house in a pandemic, that backyard comes in uh, handy. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's great that everybody's okay. And then you got the city to yourself. It's going to be very easy to get a reservation. <laughs> that's why I loved August in the city. So I could just walk into any restaurant and get a, a reservation. So what is Nude Bar? Why did you start it? Yeah, Nude Bar is a line of intimates and hosiery, and I made it to represent the diverse world that we live in because historically, when you go into stores and you ask for nude underwear, tights, panties, bras, and so forth, they usually come in shades of beige, and I'm clearly not beige, so... As a dancer and a young woman, I would have to dye my undergarments and my tights to match my skin to be in the perfect nude. Right. And uh, you uh, were a Knicks City dancer uh, from my uh, Knicks, and you uh, were given these beige tights and you had to dye them yourself. That was your pitch to me is, look, you know, I had to dye these tights. And now I make them and something happened with your company when you made this very personal product, you put it online and a number of high profile women uh, embraced the product. Tell us a little bit about that because everybody has this dream of celebrity investors and endorsers and yours became reality when the company was very young. Yeah. So I literally first sent some product to Wendy Williams. She was our first celebrity customer. And I essentially did this just on a whim. You know, I found her uh, studio address on her Mm -hmm. website and sent her some products. And then a couple of weeks later, her wardrobe assistant called and said, oh my gosh, Wendy loves your tights. She's been wearing them every day on the show. We wanted to let you know that in an hour when the show is done airing, we want to call you and place an order. And so she purchased my stock for that year that I had, um, which was really a big, you know, pivot point for us. And what's amazing about Wendy is that she posts on social media every day, tagging the brands that she's wearing from head to toe. And then on her website, she posts every brand that she's wearing, literally linking them. So she wears like our caramel fishnets and it would say Wendy wore nude bar caramel fishnets with a link directly to the caramel fishnets on our website. And so other celebrities started reaching out to us saying, oh my gosh, we saw Wendy and your fishnets. We love your products. Can you send them to Tyra Banks? And and the list went on and on. Um, and so from there, we just started getting these anonymous shoppers that would buy our product. And so one of them happened to be Serena Williams in 2018. And she was wearing them in Wimbledon and the US Open and you know, her holy cow, that is mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. And so what ended up happening is that um, she was ordering them pretty regularly. And we ended up selling out of her SKU. And so the team reached out saying, hey, when are you going to restock these tights? And I let them know that, hey, listen, I'm fundraising to scale the company. Do you think that Serena would be interested in this? And here we go. Wow. You got Serena Williams as an investor. Yes. Tremendous. Investor and customer. Yes. It's amazing. When celebrities order stuff, do they order from a pseudonym or do you once in a while just see like a name come up and you're like, I wonder if that's blank, actually the person. (laughs) Yeah. So it'll, it'll be a combination of ways. Sometimes it'll be a wardrobe stylist that'll reach out, just email us, you mm. know, cold or blind. Um, and so there's that, or someone may just anonymously shop on the website. Sometimes it'll have the email address of that person. Like, hmm, yeah, I wonder if this is really the person yeah. or sometimes it'll be assistant's name or someone's name yeah. at whatever their you know URL is or their website. And similarly, you're like, does this person just work there? Is this for that? celebrity and so we're constantly you know just looking at who are these new customers yeah 
you know. I've had a good experience with that. Once in a while, somebody recognizes my name and they're like, hey, you do you really like this product? I'm like, I just ordered like eight of them. Like, I really like yeah. it. So like, would you like some for free? I'm like, don't take free products, but thank you. <laughs> it's, it's kind of not, it's not creepy. I don't find it creepy at all. Like if I, if I, if I did, I wouldn't use my real name, right? Like I would just, it's very easy to get a pseudonym or to have like a, an assistant buy it and just order it to your office and avoid all that. So as a D to C company, it's a bit of a struggle. What are the hardest things about running a direct-to-consumer company? A few things. One would be, you know, the defensibility side of it. Mm. Um, I would say the one thing that's really unique to Nude Bar is that we are, you know, targeting this specific pain point. And so women either have the reaction to a story like mine where I had to dye my tights and they're like, oh my gosh, I had to do that as well. I wish this existed years ago or a long time ago and I wasn't dyeing my tights. Or they have the reaction of anger and frustration that I even had to do that um, to, you know, make something match my skin tone and they want to support it even more. Mm. So, you know, we were able to build this, I don't want to say cult-like, but you know, tribal like following of people that just really believed in what we're doing and believed in our messaging of empowering and, you know, allowing women to find their skin tone or that representation matters um, and representation through your skin tone was important. And you had some fun with the marketing. Explain that uh, within terms of like the, the color bar and, and yeah. how you work that. Yeah. So for the color matching side of it, um, we do color matching in a few ways, but the most interesting and unique way is that we use a color matching technology called the nude meter, where you answer some quiz questions, you upload a selfie, and then the algorithm tells you one to two shades that match you based on seasonality. So maybe winter season versus summer season um, when you're more tan in the summer. And so this is really you know unique to our brand. It's a game changer for customers that typically rely on going going into stores to match your skin tone. So nude bar is very similar to buying makeup foundation for mm. women. And women usually feel like they need to go into a store, get their shade matched, try on and test a few shades. And we're taking that process out of the equation through our technology. How did fundraising uh, and the accelerator go for you? How, how, how are you referred to us? How is your experience uh, in the accelerator? And how did fundraising go? Because that's the reason most people come to our accelerator. Yeah, so the referral was actually, I felt really random. So I was introduced to a lawyer who a friend was following my story on, you know, fundraising and was really excited about Serena coming on as an investor. And actually at the time it was Serena and the Bumble Fund. So mm. Whitney Wolf her, they both were my first two checks in. Jason, you were my third check in. Yes. Kind of like Uber. As yeah, you, you it was know, really calling. interesting how that happened. <laughs> was I third or fourth? I can't remember. You no, know, you're <laughs> you're my third check in. Yeah. Wow. And so uh, they were my first two and I was getting some press around that as they were announcing their new portfolio companies. And so I was then introduced to uh, Crystal Atin. Ah. And from Ruby Love. Yes. And who went through our accelerator. Crystal, yeah, she went through the accelerator. I hopped on a call with her. And initially the conversation was, I said, Crystal, how did you raise $15 million? And how did you scale your company? Like, tell me everything. Yep. And so she said, actually, I went to this accelerator called Launch with Jason Calacanis. And I'd never heard of this accelerator before. Um, and I actually hadn't heard of you either, which I was pretty surprised by. I felt like I, you know, 
dug yeah. in and researched so many investors. And so she was like, you know, if you want an introduction, I'm happy to introduce you. Why don't you do your own research first? So then I took a week and like binged watched <laughs> this week in startups. <laughs> the podcast uh, like, always helpful. That's yeah, like to the point where I'd be like on my computer listening and my husband would be like, is that Jason again? So anyway, <laughs> I get that a lot. Uh, <laughs> so I binge watched. I just really fell in love with just like your stance on, you know, founders and your belief in founders. And I, I pinged Crystal and was like, hey, I want to meet this guy. Yeah. Um, so she made the introduction. Then you guys invited me to Founder University. Right. Um, and oh, good. my, yeah. So my main goal at Founder University was like, I have to pitch Jason. I have to yeah. get in front of him. And the, structure, I wasn't really sure how that was going to go in terms of how we would pitch and how that would work. But I didn't get to pitch the first day. And I was like getting nervous, like, oh, no, I came all the way out here to San yeah. Francisco. Like, I got to get in front of Jason. So you had like a mixer or something in the evening. Yep. And I came up to you. I found you solo and I yeah. cornered you um, and ping, told you ping about pong Edward. mixer or uh, yeah, yeah. Ping pong. Yep, yeah. Yep. And so I, you know, told you my spiel. Yeah. And you were like, let's have you pitch tomorrow. And yeah. Now I'm, there we I'm go. Here I am. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know what? I'll save the fundraising question for our uh, fourth segment, but uh, uh, spoiler alert, it went well. Okay. Uh, when we get back, we're going to hear from the second place finisher in the Launch Accelerator 17 class. Hey, everybody. Are you ready to turn your amazing idea into a website? I know you are. Well, the best way to do that, the absolute best way to do that is how I do it, which is using Squarespace. Whether you want to blog or publish content, maybe you want to sell products or your services, all of that is possible with Squarespace. And it's so easy and it's so affordable. But most important for me is that it's beautiful. They have amazing customizable templates and They've added that powerful e-commerce functionality a couple of years ago. So you get the best of both worlds. You get that great e-commerce combined with the beautiful templates that work and they're responsive. If you're on a phone, if you're on an iPad, if you're on a desktop, if you're on a small monitor or a big monitor, you can even buy your domains there and choosing from over 200 extensions. You get search engine optimization as well. You get their award-winning 24-7 customer service and you get free and secure hosting. And here's an amazing example. Go to RemoteDemoDay.com. We built the site in minutes using Squarespace, and it looks gorgeous. What is Remote Demo Day, you ask? It's just an idea to have six or seven companies present to a couple of hundred investors. And we needed a, a, a landing page, and we needed a domain name. Got that all set up in literally minutes. And that's what you're going to do right now. You're going to go to Squarespace, get that free trial, and when you're ready to launch your website, I want you to use the offer code TWIST, T-W-I-S-T, and you will save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain name, or maybe both. It's an amazing product. I've been using it for, I think it's getting close to a decade. Uh, it's beautiful. Anytime anybody says, hey, how do I set up a quick web page? How do I get my e-commerce site up and running? What do I do as a consultant? I just tell them, go to Squarespace. It's the best. And you know what? They keep investing in it, and they keep the prices low while they keep the service high. Great job, Squarespace. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. Hey, everybody, welcome back. Next up in our second place for the Launch Accelerator, uh, 17th class was Nicole Beals, and she is the co-founder along with David Brock of TechMate. And most of the people who come to our accelerator have two or three co-founders. Uh, we invite one of them to come on the pod. And uh, next up is Nicole. Tell everybody, Nicole, uh, what is TechMate? Hi. Uh, yeah, so TechMate good is, good to see you again. Uh, yeah, Tech it's been Mate a while. 
I know. Well, we started in person and then switched to remote uh, half about actually about three weeks in. So um, that was crazy. Yeah. What was that? We tell everybody what that week was like where we're trying to make the decision. Do you remember it? Yeah, it was so crazy just because so much was happening and the, you know, it was like, it was just kind of starting where people were, you know, starting to question. And I think that that last week in person, actually, we kind of did a, a bit of a hybrid situation that people could either be there or be remote. Uh, and so we had, I think half were in person in your studio actually, and then half, uh, actually didn't fly in. So, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was an, a very interesting time. And I have to say for us, um, you know, I think we were really concerned when it switched to a fully remote program just yeah. because we had it so much in our head, you know, that we were going to be meeting investors in person and just didn't know what that process was going to be like, if it was going to change, you know, uh, the success of our fundraise. And I have to say that, you know, in the end, uh, I, I can't imagine having done it in person. Um, you know, there were our, there were days we were doing it, you know, we were fundraising 12 to 14 hours a day and, you know, we were just on zoom calls morning to night. And, uh, I think in the end, you know, just the number of investors that we got put in front of and the diversity of those investors, uh, really it it ended up being a a huge, a much bigger win for us. And and I can get more into that. Yeah, well, I think we made the decision early on, Jackie uh, Deegan, who runs the accelerator for us, our managing director and I made the decision, hey, if we're going to make this remote, let's try to double or triple the value of it, because they're going to lose the value of meeting with founders in person, or meeting with investors in person. So let's try to just either add more sessions. So I think we added four sessions, Yep. maybe. Uh, So that's 25% more sessions. That feels that felt good as a founder that we added that. Absolutely. I mean, there was there were a couple weeks that we were doing three pitch sessions per week wow. as opposed to just one. And and then in the end, it was really interesting because so I am in New York and David's in New York. Typically, I went home to quarantine in Kansas City with my family huh. and through just, you know, having the remote sessions, we were able to connect with an investor a fund actually in the Midwest, and they focused ah. primarily on companies in the Midwest. Um, and now we had this whole other channel that, you know, we're, we're actually now hiring in the Midwest because we can hire anywhere um, because we're all remote anyway. And so it opened up a, a huge door for us that probably we wouldn't have been introduced to this fund, you know, had we yes, just been doing correct. in-person, you know, um, pitches in San Francisco. So they were actually the first investor that came on for us and opened the door to a lot of other introductions and really, you know, led our round for us. And so uh, it was really amazing, you know, just just making being able to make that connection. Okay, so tell everybody what is TechMate? Yes. Uh, So we are on demand tech support for remote and satellite employees. Got it. And so uh, you didn't start this during COVID, but a pandemic when you go from 5% of employees are work from home, maybe 10 at well, no, big companies. Actually, what is the statistic? Actually, yeah. yeah, actually before, uh, before COVID-19, about 50% of employees were already working in remote and satellite offices. So for okay, us, so you're including in- satellite offices. Yeah. 
Exactly. Right. So it was really interesting for us because we were already, we had already kind of started going down this road. Actually, when we first started TechMate a couple of years ago, we were focusing primarily on small businesses. And what happened is we were finding that the people that were getting in touch with us, they were operating like small businesses, but they were actually remote and satellite employees that mm. were just kind of like their hair was on fire and they had an IT department that was on the other side of the country and they you know, didn't know how to sol solve their IT issues. And so we were getting introduced then to the headquarters of those companies. And so we saw this, we, we actually saw this trend that was happening. And so we, we, we actually, you know, started focusing on this early on with right. these bigger companies. And then when COVID hit, it was just like a mass acceleration of the distributed workforce and everything that we had kind of been saying was going to happen more slowly all of a sudden was happening. All How do you make money? Who are your customers? Yeah. So our customers are primarily, we call them enterprise light companies. And so they're companies that have a hundred to 5,000 employees. Our sweet spot is around two to 3,000 employees and they have two or more satellite offices. And these companies are they're typically, they have small IT companies. For, for instance, uh, one of our customers, they have 1,800 employees spread across the U.S., but they have a very small IT department of six people in Florham Park, New Jersey that are trying to support all wow. of these employees. So yeah. 300 employees each. And of course, if the employee's in the building, they're going to get done first because they can come and complain. Yeah. And they know that person, but the person who's in Boise, Idaho, who's got a computer that crashes uh you know in some random basis and uh their printer's jammed they would normally just get a new computer setup sent to them and have to box it all up and waste all that time right yeah or you know sometimes the companies were actually flying a technician one of their technicians across the country for just like an overnight fix uh, or they were contracting a different company or a different technician in every single city so you can imagine that's a logistical nightmare of hundreds of phone calls and emails just coordinating all of this so that's that's really what we set out to to focus on most people would say hey this sounds like geek squad um, which I think Best Buy bought at some point that mm -hmm. was something that consumers used how yep. is this different than Best Buy than Geeks, was it Circuit City or Best Buy that bought Geeks? Yeah, so how Best is it Buy. different than Geek Squad? And do you, yeah. um, is it, are these uh, IT specialists around the country, they work for you full-time or they're contractors? Yeah, so they're they're contractors. Uh, we have a network of around seven thousand technicians that we've built just from being. Our team has about forty years of experience in IT consulting and recruiting. So we've built a pretty vast network across the U.S. over that time. Um, of that network, we have around two hundred and fifty that are already active. We've actually um, we we only accept about five percent of those who apply. So um, the the goal is to really keep that quality level high and and you know, to grow along with it, with our demand. Um, and it's interesting that you bring up Geek Squad. Um, it's so the, the market is super fragmented. So if you're looking at like the competitive landscape, the top three players, Geek Squad being one of them in terms of outsourced IT, they only make up 5%, less than 5% of the market. So the other 95% are these like small local IT consulting companies right. who 
don't have network, don't have the technology to support this workforce. Um, also, with Best Buy, you know, they're very um, B2C focused. Mm. We're 100% B2B focused. And they're also much more, you know, in-store focused. They're doing a lot of, you know, lower like level the genius types of bar jobs. stuff, right? Yeah. They're not going to be doing VPNs into the corporate servers, you know, Ex- with people exactly. in the accounting department or the sales team, stuff like that. It's like... And- yeah. And for us, you know, our goal has never just been to be a labor arbitrage. Hmm. Uh, it's really been to build. So we're a SaaS enabled marketplace. So our goal has been to build, you know, this business tool that allows a, an IT manager or an IT director to really support all of their, you know, their distributed workforce. So, you know, we have a platform that employees log into, um, a IT manager can see everything that happens across all of their locations and, uh, can gather data. That's a big part of our dashboard as well. They're gathering data on most common issues, you know, IT expense by location, um, you know, anything that issue by user type. So, you know, we think that's another way that it really sets us apart from, you know, the other IT companies, maybe like a Geek Squad. And are people now starting to set up home offices and Zoom uh, studios? Is that becoming the big ask? And have you seen any anecdotally companies say, hey, we're going to give a budget for a home office or home studio now that a number of people are going to be work from home on a more permanent basis, or at least extended? Are companies budgeting for that? And what's the best practice now? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, yeah, we've actually had um, members, we had just had a member sign up a couple weeks ago. They said, you know, we are, we've released our employees to work from home indefinitely, like for sure through the end of the year. And even then we don't know if we're going to be bringing them back to the office. So we're seeing a huge shift. Uh, and, you know, so a, a lot of what we're doing is um, helping to provision these um, new employees or just help them make that transition to, to home. In the beginning, we were doing a lot of that. So take, you know, getting computers ready, getting everything, you know, basically loaded on the computers and basically, so all they have to do is just like unbox and kind of plug and play. Um, so a, a lot of that, and then, you know, zoom obviously, but then for our kind of sweet spot of companies, uh, they are also doing a lot of, uh, I guess more advanced, uh, audio video setups. So Crestron and, and, and things like yeah, that. Yeah, those are, so, yeah, it's, it's more than just popping up Zoom. They might have Cisco or some other vendor and it's a little more complicated with firewalls and whatnot. Um, exactly. How did you wind up finding out about our accelerator? And, um, in terms of the voting, which you did very well, how much of it do you feel was, uh, based on maybe getting a little, uh, boost since you're one of those companies that is, uh, benefiting from the from the pandemic did you get a yeah. lot of that we we did yeah so in terms of how we found out about launch actually my co-founder david brock uh he's good friends with mike savino oh one of uh, our venture who, partners him yes yes and uh mike was great actually um i we talked at, a, at our christmas party actually we had him and uh he actually invited us to his office and did like a two-hour um just really drilled us on our pitch and we did the the deck kind of like what you did the first mm. day so i felt like we were a little bit more prepared yeah because uh, he said a lot of the things that that you would have said um so yeah we got introduced that way and um the the program honestly was like for us it was like such a numbers game we knew from the beginning that we just wanted to get in front of as many investors as possible and um and so i think you know 
of course, we would never want to take advantage or people to feel like we were taking advantage of this terrible situation no, of course that not, yeah. we found ourselves in. Uh, but it was definitely interesting just to see, you know, since we, we already had this business model before, and then there was just like this huge accelerated need for it. Yep. Um, I think, I think the investors that we met tuned into that very quickly. Yep. And, um, you know, our goal from the beginning was always not to necessarily get a yes from investors, but to get to a certain amount of no's. We wanted to get to 60 no's. Ah, and that's an felt, interesting strategy. Why? We felt that as long as we were learning from every single meeting and from every single no, that eventually w that would get us to a yes. But if we were just kind of focused on, okay, they said no, like move on to the next one and just trying to get to that yes, then there's, there's less opportunity for learning. And so we thought if we can at least just get to 60 no's and, and never even get to a yes, the learnings that we'll get, mm. if we really focus on why you know, why we're getting the nose and if we can really dig into that. What was the number one reason people said no? Um, I think, you know, top one, yeah, I think a big question is the future of IT mm. and, you know, you know, everything's going to the cloud and everything's going remote and how do we fit into that? And so, um, it's kind of, it's funny because, um, my co-founder, David, he had this epiphany because we were kind of getting the same feedback and the same questions over and over. And he had this epiphany that it was kind of like uh, Eminem at the the last scene of Eight Mile yeah. where he gets up there and he's like, he already knows everything that, you know, they're going to say against his opponents are going to say against him. Right. And so, uh, and he just calls it all out. And so uh, we actually started doing that. And you started pitches, framing we like, it. You say, hey, yeah. here's the reasons why people... Uh, uh, you know, wouldn't invest in the company or these are the challenges yes. to a company like this. And there's something charming about being self-aware about that. And yes. also it's not only charming, it's just like a level of maturity for a founder to be like, yeah, this is not a fit if you don't like these type of businesses. But if you believe this is just labor arbitrage, here's why it's not. And you can kind of unpack those issues and kind of meet people and head them off at the pass as it were. Exactly. All right. Yeah. When we get back from this quick break, we're going to meet the number one vote getter in the Launch Accelerator 17th class. Stick with us. All right, everybody, I want to tell you about an exciting new online community that I just joined. It's called Trends, and you can go visit it at trends.co slash twist and sign up for $1 in a two-week trial. Trends.co slash twist to get that one dollar two-week trial and it's from the team over at the hustle you know that newsletter that everybody talks about i spoke at one of the conferences that guy sam runs it really smart cat i had him on the pod at one point uh, he did a news roundtable we'll have him on again but i love their analysis and they just did a really interesting one on retail heavy businesses that are avoiding bankruptcy during COVID. so they do these like analysis pieces that are really in depth where they uh, detail the strategies that these companies like lululemon and gap are trying to do to stay afloat during the pandemic it's great work uh, they they put a lot of effort into it and when you get trends you're going to get a network and information to help you succeed as an entrepreneur you're going to get access to a community of industry leaders and founders and investors like myself and they also have weekly live lectures with experts who will teach you things like growth strategies seo and how to send the perfect cold email trends has exclusive research with intriguing topics that will help educate and inspire you and your team 
like the 30 companies defining the future of media and pop culture or data on thousands of successful Kickstarter projects. It's a really cool uh, new offering. Sam's a really smart cat. I had coffee with him uh, the other week over at Cyclass before the pandemic happened, actually. And I was just taking notes. That guy, Sam, smart cat. Visit trends.co slash twist. T-R-E-N-D-S dot C-O slash twist. And you'll get in for two weeks for just $1. And I'll see you in there. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. All right, welcome back to This Week in Startups. We're talking to the three top vote-getters at Launch Accelerator's uh, 17th class. We've done 17 of these. It's always seven. Seven founders. And uh, third place was Nude Bar, uh, Aaron Carpenter we met with, and that was 94.5 points. She scored cumulatively in the accelerator. Uh, and then we met Nicole Beals um, with TechMate, and she had a cumulative 128.5 points in voting, which put her in second place. And in first place, we had Armando Perez. He is the uh, co-founder of Solo Trucking, S-O-L-O, trucking.com. And uh, they came in first with a whopping 159.5 points. So a spread of 60 points between the third and first place uh, and about, yeah, about 30 points equally. Um, Armando, congratulations on uh, coming in first. But it, of course, means nothing, uh, ultimately. Um, it's just a kind of fun thing we do um, each week. Tell everybody, because uh, ultimately you have to build up just a large sustainable business. That's the goal, not to win a prize here. Uh, we're not playing for trophies. We're paying for revenue and building an at-scale business. But tell everybody what solo trucking does. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Jason, so good being here and seeing yeah. you again. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, it's been yeah, a minute, solo, as the kids we, say. It has. It has. It, well, interesting times, right? So, yeah. Um, so, Solo, it's pretty simple. We help truck drivers become independent so that they can finally legally work with customers like Uber Freight, Pepsi, FedEx, and thousands more. And so, you are an actual trucking company. You make software. You're a marketplace. How do you describe the business model? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great question, especially just, you know, given how, how really confusing trucking can be, um, because there's just so much, so many nuances to it. Um, you know, saying trucking company is saying like technology company there. Right. That, that software company is enormous. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So what we do specifically is you could think of us as almost Shopify for trucking. So if you're a truck driver and you want to start your own trucking company, which is what you need to do to actually be able to legally work with, you know, folks like Uber Freight, Pepsi, basically any direct customer, um, it's typically a nightmare. So it's, it's a long process. Um, you know, it takes a ton of money. We make it super simple, like shop, like Shopify does to start an e-commerce store. Um, it's a one-stop shop. You can get all the services that you might need depending on your you know type of driving style or the type of cargo you might need to haul as a truck driver and like i said it's all in one you know we, we make it super simple in one location to be able to do that instead of piecemealing it um and then you know after that uh we connect you to all to uh to about half a million shipments on a daily basis so that you're always busy as a truck driver no matter where you're you're at in the continental 48 states so they outsource basically everything but the driving of the truck to you that is correct and why would they do this? It's just, it's painless. It's reducing pain for them. 
Yeah. So typically from a truck driver's perspective, um, this is kind of their career goal. So if you look at a truck driver and their, and their typical career trajectory, um, you know, what, what is more or less what, what they're gunning for is to one day become independent <clears throat> and own their own trucking company. And so, like I said, if you look at a, at a driver's career trajectory, it follows a very similar path, um, that, uh, that you typically see in, in different industries, such as, you know, an accounting student, they typically will join a big four whenever they graduate, and then they'll typically work their way up from there, um, and typically jump, jump ship to somewhere else that's not going to work them to death. Same thing for a truck driver. They're going to start off typically as a direct employee, but, you know, over time, they're going to try to take, uh, baby steps towards becoming an independent truck driver. And that includes purchasing their own truck, you know, joining a more boutique trucking company that gives them a little bit more independence, and then finally taking that final step of starting their own trucking company. But like I said, that final step is a really big step. There's huge cash flow uh, issues that typically come with it. So they typically have to put down anywhere from twenty to $40,000 before ever moving ship, uh, shipment. So before any revenue comes in, they have to invest that money up front. And it typically takes three to six months. Um, and so what we do is make it super simple for them to come on with no money down, and we can have them on the road in about a week. And you... Uh, took the top prize during uh, this accelerator class. What do you attribute it to? What did? Why did people tell you they were voting you as number one? Because we actually record even before it was on Zoom, where it's easy to record. We actually had cameras there. Uh, we would set up a whole AV setup uh, on location, which was a lot of expense and time, to be totally frank. Uh, that's now gone uh, for us, which is really weird. Um, we used to lug all the equipment every week and set it all up, break it all down. Uh, and that's why we we're looking for a permanent home, which we're not going to get now, apparently. So what was it uh, that the investors told you was the reason they picked you as number one? Yeah. Um, so really quickly, just on the whole on the whole equipment thing that you brought up, it's super helpful to obviously just be able to review um, just any time that we go through through the weekly pitches and, and just kind of study what we did right and did wrong. And that kind of leads me into answering your, uh, you know, your, your primary question, which is whenever we first started, we weren't super great at telling a compelling story. And this is something that you really learn, you know, obviously through the program um, that it's so important to tell a compelling and motivating story to investors so that they can really see beyond the technicalities why this is super important and and you know what it could really become and so you know going through the program being able to watch ourselves you know week on week week over week and, and be able to craft that story in a way that really resonated with the right investors i think that's what we would attribute it to and how did um uh what, what else did you learn during this process? Obviously, learning how to tell the story is critically important, but we only pick people who have launched businesses with actual customers. That's one of the things that's unique about our accelerator. Our Goldilocks zone, not too hot, not too cold, is too hot, you've raised a Series A, or you have five term sheets and you're just picking which Series A to go with from top venture firms. That's too hot. Too cold is you have an idea or a mock-up or a prototype, but no customers, you haven't launched it. Uh, for us, the sweet spot is, hey, maybe you've got 2,000, 20,000, 100,000 in marketplace revenue, whatever it is. And you've got three, four, five people on the company. You've raised two, three, four hundred thousand eh, from friends and family or pre-seed or whatever you want to call that round. And you got 10 customers we can talk to. 
So what else? Uh, storytelling is a lot easier when you actually have customers because you can just have them tell you why they love your company. That's always the true North Star. What else did you learn? What were the takeaways for you in the accelerator? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this would have been much dif- much more difficult to tell a story if you know if, if our revenues numbers looked very different. Um, it, but I, I think you know something else that we really, or at least I personally got a lot better at as a founder, um, especially given my technical background as an engineer, was how to be succinct with answers and and really step away from trying to teach almost from a first principle standpoint and much more focus on making sure they understand what I'm explaining in a, in a, as short of a time as possible. So um, answering questions concisely for investors, when you say they, you're talking about investor questions. So if an investor yes. asks you, uh, and we'll do a role play right now, um, how many drivers do you have on the platform? You would say 20 and we're hoping to add five next month. Perfect. So you gave me the answer to the question I uh, needed, which wanted to get an idea of ballparking where this company's at. And you gave me even a little bit of extra information that took an extra two seconds to say, and adding five this month. So I get an idea of how you're growing. That's 25% growth month over month. That's pretty great. Wait, before you came to the program, how would you have answered that question? Or how are you answering <laughs> questions? We probably would have we probably would have talked about that for at least five minutes, or I would have rambled about that for at least five minutes. Right. Um, Why and, is that a mistake? Then, the rambling five minute answer. It's attention span, right? And it also makes you look a lot less polished as as uh, as as a founder. So it makes it look like you really don't know what's going on. Um, mm. You know, and sometimes that's not the case. You just want to give a very thorough answer, but it's just optics. Um, so you really you really want to make sure that your answers are succinct, polished, and to the point. All right. When we get back, uh, we'll talk to Nicole, uh, Aaron, and Armando uh, as we wrap up here on Speaking Startups. I love modern furniture. I am a modern furniture snob. And what I love most about modern furniture is it looks so clean and gorgeous. And I found a brand that I am obsessed with. It's called Mod Loft, M-O-D-L-O-F-T. Now, some of you are saying, I know Mod Loft. Of course I know Mod Loft. Well, I I found out about it maybe two years ago because I moved from a house that was like kind of an old uh, Mediterranean style to a modern house and I needed modern furniture. And I kept doing Google searches and I was on Pinterest and it all roads led back to Modloft. And I bought all this Modloft stuff. And I had some other, you know, expensive, like from Italy, fancy, modern stuff. And people like the Modloft stuff better, and it's more affordable. Modloft is now sponsoring this week in startups and giving you 15% off and free shipping if you go to Mod, M-O-D, Loft, L-O-F-T, Modloft.com slash twist. You can finish your entire home. Bedroom, living room, dining room, outdoor. Outdoor is really good. Um, and of course they have office stuff too. Uh, and it's risk-free at home trials. You can just order it, try it out. If you don't like it, they take it back delivery in days, not months. And that's super important to me because a lot of this furniture I found out is like bespoke and it takes six months. I'm team in stock. If it's not in stock, I'm done. It's gotta be in stock. And you know what? Modloft, everything's always in stock. And these are spectacular pieces that have won international design awards and they'll even do some free interior design consulting to fit your style. The customer service is second to none. I've gotten them on the phone. I've gotten them on email. Super responsive. They know what they're doing. Mobloft.com slash twist for 15% off. I love this stuff. Go ahead and check it out. I know you will too. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. All right, we met three great startups here today. 
uh, TechMate, Nude Bar, and Solo Trucking. And now we'll just go into a little roundtable discussion with the founders about what they learned uh, during the accelerator uh, and about being entrepreneurs and what it's like to be an entrepreneur in the time of uh, COVID. Aaron, uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about fundraising and what you learned. You uh, heard um, Nicole talk a little bit about getting to 60 no's so they could learn and iterate. What was your strategy in terms of raising money? Yeah, so, well, initially, my biggest challenge was answering the questions very mm. concise and quickly. That was uh, a weak point that I felt that I needed to work on throughout the entire, you know, process of the accelerator. Um, but my strategy, Nicole and I actually talked a lot, and I really loved her theory on getting to the nose. Um, but I just, I took a lot of notes. I loved how you guys really were like an accountability partner mm. um, in that there was this funnel idea of, you know, stage one, stage two, and so forth of where we were with investors and actually keeping up with the updates. I really try to be diligent about updating investors, which got me further along in all of my conversations. So to explain, we have a funnel process that we uh, created inside of the Launch Accelerator uh, that I came up with a couple of years ago. And when I came up with this idea, I was like, I want to track uh, like a sales process, how each company is doing. And I demanded that every week we do a pipeline review just like a sales team might do a pipeline review, because I found founders, we tell them to email investors and that it was a numbers game. You needed to get to at least 100 uh, meetings in order to have any chance of knowing how fundable your company was. And then people were like, they would do it in spurts, but they wouldn't follow up with investors. So the two things that we changed there was we created a point system for finding targets to go after, emailing them, following up with them. And then of course, we're sharing intelligence with each other about different investors and uh, how interested they are in investing in different companies. But uh, you found this uh, discipline and this process particularly compelling, Aaron, yeah? Oh, yeah, it made a big difference. And then I would say also the point system of every week of the investors voting their three, two and one was extremely helpful because then I would just focus on those people that voted for me versus, you know, I don't want to say wasting my time, but spending less time on the people that didn't vote, that didn't seem interested, mm. um, which made the meetings a lot more efficient when, you know, I sent out that initial email and I felt that the investors seemed to respect the conversations a lot more than if I were to reach out to someone a little more cold or not an introduction through you, Jason. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that uh, definitely helps on the margins. If we do an introduction, people take it a little bit more seriously, or at least they get back to you on a higher percentage than when you were emailing oh, directly. Yeah. 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 What percentage of people we introduced you to got back to you after one email? Would you say if you had to ballpark mm -hmm. it? I would say more than 50% for sure. And then yeah. what was your best practice as explained to you by our, uh, my team about how often to go back to a founder? I'll go back to an investor. Investor? You know? yeah. Uh, yeah. So we would pretty much do it monthly. So as we would be sending in the monthly updates to you guys, we would also submit an up a monthly update to the uh, investor saying, hey, here's an update on where our company is. If you didn't hear back from that investor, then you can say, hey, um, didn't hear from you, but hey, here's some exciting updates on our company, which usually you would get a response after that. So you have uh, a monthly update you send on a discipline basis to your existing investors. Yes. But then you would create an edited version of that. I would take it a shorter version or a different version to in investors you met with or wanted to meet with. 
potential investors. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So an edited version, you know, either high level, you know, positive updates or just press like, Hey, yeah. there's this recent article that came out about my business. If you want to learn more about what we're doing or about me as a founder, any investors upset that you sent them an update on their business? Absolutely not. At least none that told me to my face. Uh, so I mean, I think this is a very instructive lesson for people is that founders don't take the time to update their existing investors. Uh, and uh, they don't take the time to perhaps um, update the investors who didn't say yes, or didn't follow up with them, when in fact, there is no cost to doing that. And what people don't realize is the investors are getting free information, which investors love. It's, and it's a free option to make up for a mistake if they passed on investing. So uh, bottom line, Aaron, uh, in terms of funding, how'd you do ballpark, you know, uh, as best as you can say? Yeah, I'm, we are closing out our round soon. And I was able to bring on. Yeah, it's New York. It's okay. We get a siren <laughs> once in a while. It's no problem. Sorry. You get sirens in New York and then you get just very loud people wrestling and fighting with each other in the streets here in San Francisco. We literally had somebody screaming in the streets here. It's uh, it's bedlam. <laughs> I've been like muting diligently in between the sirens. <laughs> it's all right. It's a new world now. Sirens, crazy people yelling and screaming. It's all good. But yeah, so we're closing out our seed round, which I'm really excited about. We've brought on some amazing investors. One of the investors that I did uh, regular updates with was Katrina Lake, and she came in as an investor, Whoa. which is extremely explain, explain exciting. Explain who she is. Uh, so Katrina Lake is the founder and CEO of Stitch Fix. Uh, wow. I would say, you know, she's an expert in the D2C category, Should which think? is huge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah like uh, kind of define the category. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, so bringing her on was extremely exciting. And honestly, I think sending those monthly updates made a big difference. Yeah. And, and we make it a requirement uh, if we're going to be investors in a company that they agree to send monthly updates. And we... We, we will email a founder if we don't get one for two months in a row and say, hey, everything okay? Did we miss it? Um, and we don't expect perfection, but you know, uh, if we can get even half the number of updates, just six a year, at least we know what's going on with the investment so we can help. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Nicole, maybe we can switch to your fundraising. Uh, we talked about it a little bit, but overall, how did you wind up and where was that versus your expectation? Yeah, well, and the beginning of the accelerator, you know, we were probably meeting bef before the accelerator, actually, we were probably meeting with one investor every couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was this huge, daunting task. I honestly did not know how we were going to do it just because I had never been, you know, both of uh, me and my co-founder were, you know, first time startup founders. So, um, it was just felt like this big mountain to climb. And so one thing that was really helpful was just to be kind of taken, you know, piece by piece or step by step through that process and have it broken down. And, um, so we actually, our goal was 750,000 and we actually just closed out our round at 1.3 million. Wow. So, so you doubled your goal. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Congratulations on that. Uh, and now Thank the you. hard work begins. You yeah. That's enough runway for you guys to go 18, 24 months, I take it? Absolutely. Yes. And now you've got to do what with that money? Triple revenue, quadruple revenue? What is the goal for after you yeah. deploy $1.3 million? What mm -hmm. will the company TechMate, which you can see at techmate.com, look like? 
Yes, thank you. Uh, yeah, so actually right now, so we just launched our memberships at the beginning of this year. And so right now we have 15 memberships. Our goal is to get that to 200 memberships. Right now we're getting about one membership sign up a week. So we're really tripling down. We have a sales model that works, but we're really tripling down on the hiring. So um, that's going to be the, the first uh, part is bringing on a sales lead and then really building out that sales team to, to hit that those milestones. And then that'll get us to about 3 million in ARR. And uh, from there, the next year, our goal would be to hit a thousand memberships, which would take us to more around uh, 10 million ARR. And, you know, at the accelerator, we always look at it as a product. I look at it as a product uh, and as a product manager, we always think about, hey, what can we add? And maybe a couple of classes in, I created the pipeline uh, process. And then I said, I want to also create a process of doing a back of the envelope plan, a yearly plan, because the teams with plans seem to perform better than teams without a plan. Tell everybody a little bit about that, if you remember it, when I went over your yearly plan with you. And the goal of that, of course, is so that you can speak credibly in a very back of the envelope, off the top of your head, about your goals, like you just did perfectly uh, and confidently, uh, so that investors say, hey, if I deploy this money, they're not just going to build a bunch of features. They're actually going to change the the profile of this business on a revenue basis and in terms of the team composure, et cetera. So we did that, I, what I called, I guess, yearly planning uh, process. Tell us, a, tell, share with the audience what that was like. Yeah. Yeah, that was super helpful because basically what it did is it took our, our numbers from where we were at that point. And then you have a formula that shows, you know, month over month growth. Uh, so it's broken down into, you know, if you're doing 5% month over month growth or 10% or 25%, it shows you then where you can plug those numbers and you can plug in the starting number. And then it automatically updates through all of those formulas and shows you, you know, if you're just hitting 5% month over month, here's where you're going to be in a year um, versus 25, you know, so you can really play around with those numbers a little bit more. And it just made it much more real because I feel like in the startup world. These numbers are so ambiguous. You know, you're just, you're telling in investors, yeah, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. But, um, and you're kind of saying what you think that investors want to hear. But when you actually are working with, you know, formulas and spreadsheets and, you know, an actual plan, those numbers like become very contextual in your mind. Like you, it gives it, you know, um, it gives you something to kind of sink your teeth into. So yeah, it makes it that real, really gives you that framework. And then you can communicate that to the team, right? You can say, Hey, yes. if we grow, uh, 7% a month, we're going to double revenue in 10 months. That's not enough to make investors interested. Yep. But if we grow 10% a month, uh, which we can do, right. As a team, we can grow 10% a month. That doesn't seem impossible. Um, we can, uh, double our revenue every seven months maybe even get towards tripling it every year, year over year, if we work hard, that would be game changing in terms of raising capital. And you realize it's just a very small difference between five, 10 and 15% growth. When you have 15% growth month over month consistently, people freak out in Silicon Valley and investors freak out when you have 5%, they're intrigued. And 10% they're engaging, right? You get this like very predictable, uh, engagement level. Was that your experience when you showed growth, you, you got people on the horn? Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, and we, we kind of took that framework and really built it out into a, a whole financial model that showed, you know, uh, I think three, three years, uh, three years out. And so, 
and I think that also helped just to be able, you know, when we were talking, it just gave us more confidence when you can really talk about the numbers of your business. I just felt much more confident. I'm sure that, you know, David would say the same thing. Like it, it just, it, it makes you feel like you're on a different level communicating as opposed to just kind of talking more in ambiguous terms. It's like, you really understand you can, you know, give very specific answers. Yeah. And uh, Armando, tell us a little bit about your goals for fundraising. You had a business that I think was profitable or break even when you came into the accelerator, correct? Or close? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. 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 So we were, we were definitely cash flow positive. Um, we, we had to be, so we didn't have the luxury. We, we had raised no outside capital to date. Um, so we were and, your first uh, investors, uh, launch. That is correct. Okay. Wow. Yep. Yep. Or the first. Great. Um, good to know. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, a good first one. Yeah. Good omen. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> Um, yeah. So whenever we came in, you know, we had, uh, we, we definitely had some goals cause we had been strategic about, you know, about when we were going to approach our, our raise. You know, we wanted to make sure we had some good traction, um, give us a little bit of, obviously a little bit of validation whenever we were in conversations with investors. Um, you know, then obviously COVID happened in the middle of it. So we took a little bit of a pause and actually, you know, c- coming out of that pause, uh, we actually had a biggest contract renewal with our, with, um, I'm sorry, with our, one of our most important business partners. Um, so we really went, um, we really went, uh, pretty focused on that during uh, probably during a two month portion that we would have been liked, we would have liked to be, have been raising. But luckily while we did that, our, our profitability started skyrocketing again, um, during actually during, uh, during COVID. Um, so, you know, essential, uh, essential goods need to be moved. Um, so at this point, you know, we're, we're still, we're still in the process of, uh, of potentially looking into raising here in the next months, uh, next few months, but it's, it was, it was such an amazing experience just being able to have these conversations yeah. with investors and you honestly, had a lot like, of interest, like, correct? We, we, we still do. We still and, do. Uh, we're excited. So yep, you try to figure out excited. when to pull the trigger on this. It's a timing That's thing for you. question for us. It's yeah. more of a timing thing for us. Um, yeah, just given you also, feel you, you could know, have raised, right? You had potential offers and, and people at the table. Oh, absolutely. So we, um, you know, we definitely had a few, a few investors that were very, very, or still very, very stoked on what we're doing. Um, and we're staying in very close contact with them. And like, you know, like has been said here, um, just giving them those consistent updates, being in strong communication with them. That's, you know, that's really what makes a difference. So because you were cash flow positive, break even, profitable, depending on the month and growing and growing, you Correct. had the option to take money or not. So I am the only outside owner of shares in your company at this point. Um, and you're point, on the yes. route to be like a Pegasus, which means you can skip rounds of funding. And this is one of the amazing things. Uh, and probably one of the reasons you got voted number one was people saw the strength of the business at the end of the day, the strength of the core business is going to determine how interested uh, investors are at the end of the day, in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. We, we, we heard it over and over again. They loved, they loved the unit economics. So mm. it just, it made money. Uh, okay. So going around the cor- horn here, and I, I just want to apologize um, uh, to all the white guys listening who are probably wondering like, where are all the white guys and you know, your top three uh, here there were white guys in the accelerator. I promise you, they just didn't score on the top three or four. 
and that's just the nature of it. It is a competition, and uh, you know, there's nothing I can do. I would I would sandbag it for all the underperforming white guys in the in the uh, cohort. Uh, but it is nice that we have uh, great diversity in the, um, and that's a testament to the Founder University program we created because we have those just for women and just for underrepresented and underestimated founders, as my friend Arlen would say. Um, Aaron, during the, uh, if you're open to talking about it, because uh, I know we have, during the pandemic, uh, or shortly after the pandemic started, we had the anti-racism uh, protests, which I think is the most accurate way to describe them, right? It's protests against racism. And uh, you're an African-American black founder with a product for... Uh, people of color. How, in, in any way, did that uh, increase the interest in your company? And then how did that make you feel to have increased awareness of female black business owners uh, happen suddenly, um, you know, while those protests were occurring? Yeah. So there's been this huge turning point for Nude Bar um, from the investor side of it to the actual consumer side and then press. Um, from the investor side, you know, there have been investors that felt that they needed to step up and invest more in um, underestimated or underrepresented founders because the stats are so low, especially for women of color. It's less than a percent of Black women get venture funding. Um, and then, you know, and when you think of raising over a million, um, it's a really, really small number. Mm. So under, under 50 women, black women have raised over a million in venture funding. Um, to be generous, I'll say under 50. Really? Because um, we yeah. have two. I think we have two of them from the accelerator already. Yeah. I think that puts us at 4% of the black female founders. That's that's Which pretty good crazy, track record. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, that's kind of wild. Um, but other than that, you know, from the consumer aspect, we were getting an overwhelming response of, uh, you know, influencers, everyday mm. customers, everyone just tagging us on social media to support black owned businesses. So we were getting like something between 20 to 30 tags an hour over a two week wow. period, which was extremely overwhelming. Our website traffic increased um, over 200%. So yeah, and then our sales increased a lot as well. And, you know, with that. And as far as press, we were getting tons of, you know, pretty big press reach out to us and wanting to feature us, tell our story. Um, so we've been featured recently in Vogue. We've been featured in Elle magazine, Cosmo, um, ABC, and NBC. Amazing. I'm doing an event with NBC this week. So yeah, it's it's been pretty incredible. And yeah, so I've been able to close my round, you know, gain some new customers, and just really get that you know press that is really hard to get. I mean, we don't even. I don't have a PR person. That works right. A lot of this is inbound press, correct? They're it's calling you inbound, and saying, they're literally need, emailing us. Yeah. They're like, we yeah. need to have a black female founder on this show in this magazine because we have not covered them. We have yeah, been and then, slow yep, yep, in covering. And the, yeah. For sure. The awesome thing about Nude Bar is that because we're such an inclusive brand, it's a brand that speaks to everyone. So I think with the increase in sales, it's a product that any and everyone can shop, whether you're a white woman, a Latina woman, a black woman, sure. that we have the full spectrum of skin tones. So that's also really huge for us in terms of people wanting to, you know, with it kind of matching the times of inclusion being yeah. real and being tangible. Did you ever feel, and, and, and then I'll um, move on from the subject, but I'm just curious as a founder, did you ever feel uh, bias when meeting with investors against you as a black female founder? 
Hmm, that's a good question. So I'm, I would say definitely yes. I'm trying to think of how I can explain that in a very clear way. I, you know, there's there yeah, like how does anyone... it manifest itself? Like because yeah. we don't know, and like it's a very hard topic to talk about, right? And so yeah. I appreciate you talking about it because I think part of the change happens when we talk about it, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I would say a few things. Um, you know, no one comes out and says, I'm not investing in women or I'm not investing in black people. I would just say there's, you know, the, the typical pattern matching that people are used to investing in people that look like them. And if I don't look like you, or you don't have diverse friends, you don't have a diverse portfolio, then I'm kind of this foreign person. Right. Um, so I would say ultimately it, 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 for me, it's been a lot harder to get meetings um, and for investors just to take my business serious. I would say, um, you know, in the earlier stages of me fundraising, so many investors would just be like, well, I don't know if this market is big enough. I don't know if, you know, that many people of color are shopping for something like this. But, you know, the, the dollar for women of color is actually really strong. Um, and, and, and it really was just this ignorance of, is this a product that's actually needed? Is it a product that um, could be a big enough business? It's a really strange thing in terms of the ignorance in that people don't realize that in our lifetime, uh, the majority of people in our country, America, are going to be people of color. Like, How does that not... It's so weird that an investor who's supposedly being paid to be a capital allocator does not see the opportunity here that the majority of the country isn't going to be non-white in a very short period of time. The demographics are very clear. So it's just, yeah, that, that, that's been very confusing and frustrating. Um, I would say also as a black female founder, it always felt that I had to be further ahead in terms of, you know, the traction and it, it, no matter what, it's like, well, let's talk to you at this stage or let's talk to you at this stage. And so it felt like the bar was being moved constantly and it was really hard to raise capital, which for my business, that's a chicken or the egg effect for us. You know, if we don't have the capital to invest in the marketing and the supply chain and, you know, the structure, the infrastructure, how can we grow? Yeah, that, it is. Um, it is a chicken and egg and it is an the. The as easy as it is to get into the industry, actually making progress and getting the check written, that's hard. So mm-hmm. like you can meet people in the industry, but getting the check written, that, that always to me seems like the harder part. And that you really have to show growth. And to have growth, you need to have capital and and therein lies the the chicken the egg, unless you can bootstrap it, which is what you did, right? What was the yep. secret to the bootstrapping you did early on? So bootstrapping, I was a crazy person. I ran the business during the day and I taught bar fitness classes at night um, that paid me really well. And I would use that capital to grow my business. So you suffered. Oh, yeah. It was painful and you worked two jobs, essentially. You worked 100 hours a week. Maybe three jobs. Like Maybe being three a mom jobs. And, and being a mom. Sorry, I left that part out. Yeah, so yeah. being a parent, <laughs> teaching fitness, exhausting fitness classes, which oh, overpaid yeah, you, which is great, yeah. but physically exhausting. Yeah. And we all know kids are not in any way exhausting mentally or physically. That's just a walk in the park. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nicole, um, when, we, when you look back at the program, um, what would you tell people who are considering to apply who should apply? Um, and how do you get the most out of an accelerator, ours or others? Yeah. Yeah. So I think 
you know, I, I think what you guys describe as your Goldilocks zone, uh, that was really helpful for us just because I think a lot of the more fundamental things uh, in terms of our business model, we had already nailed down by the time we came into the accelerator. Actually, we had done another accelerator previously mm. in New York. And, uh, you know, and at that point, it's like we were still really trying to figure out who our target market was. As I said before, we were selling to a completely different target market. Um, we hadn't, you know, our, our pricing was different. Our model was different. We were, we hadn't launched our membership yet. Um, and so I think by the time we got to launch, we had figured out some of those key you know, business model components, and we could really just run full speed ahead with fundraising. Mm. And I will say with all of the other things that launch gave us, you know, in terms of fundamentals and, and you guys did help with, a you know, a, a lot of those other pieces of the business model. But I would say the thing that we got the most was just being able to run full speed ahead with fundraising, yeah. being put in front of so many investors and, um, and, and also, you know, before it was like when, when you're not meeting with that many investors, you don't, you also aren't understanding a lot of what the que the unasked questions are. Uh. And so getting all of those, like in one week, just having, you know, a hundred questions asked by so many investors, you know, we actually started a, um, a spreadsheet and that was color coded. So every week, uh, which another thing that was so helpful was that launch records all of those sessions. And so we could actually go back afterwards, yeah. look through all of the questions. And that we the send you a transcript, which is kind of interesting too. I don't yeah. know if you ever looked at them or not, but yes. <laughs> You did, oh, yeah. So you color coded. It was kind of painful. <laughs> it is painful to watch yeah. your ums and ahs and stumbling through stuff, but it is through yeah. that pain that you become great. Yes. Greatness requires pain, as we just heard Erin talk about her three jobs. Like, if you want to have any kind of success in life, there will be some level of pain and suffering. You color coded in your Google Sheet yeah. the categories of types of questions. Mm hmm. Do you yeah. see that? Did you see that change over time? Because I'm assuming you took the feedback that you got in the yeah. early weeks and questions. And then like we talked about earlier, you incorporated them into the pitch. Yeah, a absolutely. Yeah. So in the beginning, it was a lot. Uh, you know, we would put them in categories like competition, business model, um, use of funds. And then it was it was really helpful just to be able to uh, on a snapshot kind of look and see, oh, okay, we're getting a lot of like blue, the blue category. Um, and so then we would start incorporating that more into our pitch. So in the beginning, it was a lot about our business model, not really understanding, you know, like the difference between like remote and on-site support. And so we started incorporating that and we, we found that over time, the, the questions got a lot more, I guess, sophisticated too, mm. because we were telling a better story. And so we didn't have to keep going over like the basics over and over again, just to get them to understand, you know, like our basic business, business model or our pricing or, you know, how we were making money. So, uh, I would say that, you know, the, the tools that you guys give that, the, first of all, just the vast network, but then also those tools that you guys give, we, we really took that and we didn't just use those, but we really built on them and took them further. And um, so I, I would say, you know, that that was the best thing that we could have done. If it was 100% remote, would you have still done it? Because you agreed yeah. to come to the in-person one, looking back on it now being our first hybrid class, would you have done it fully remote? Uh, it's, it's an interesting question. I don't know with my mindset back then, but I would tell anybody 
coming into the program now that for us remote was 10,000 times better. 10,000 times better. Got it. Okay. the the amount that we were able to actually get done without because you know being in new york you know my co-founder and i we were flying back and forth yeah weekly and so um yeah just to be able to really just hunker down and and focus full time on the fundraise and you know as i said just doing zoom calls one after another all day every day um i think it it I would say it it really helped. And again, just the diversity of the uh, investors that you're meeting that way. It really helped us because there were investors in the middle of America or in Europe or Asia or uh, Australia who now want to come and they stay up late or get up early and in the middle of the night, come to the accelerator here. Uh, Armando, as we wrap up, um, what what's the big takeaway for you from the program? Uh, and then your advice to people Uh, who are considering it? Yeah, I think the biggest takeaway from the program was was something that I kind of touched on earlier, which is it's just so important to have, you know, a a moving story, a compelling story, and be able to convey that in a concise and short amount of time. Um, So I, I think I can't understate how important that was for us because you know uh, on paper we might have looked good from a unit economic standpoint we had some great revenue but we were really falling on our face uh face you know the first few weeks and then on top of that whenever we would get into the first uh you know the first follow-up meeting with an investor we would really slip up because we didn't have that um we didn't have that lockdown the way we should have um and just honestly uh learning from uh, honestly the, the two co-founders that are on right now aaron nicole and some of the co-founders that um that were in the cohort um and, and being able to pull from them and um by the way they interact and the way they handle the q a and the way they tell the story um I, I was able to get so much from that and that's something um, we didn't talk about is you're not doing this alone you're with six other companies and they're being voted on so the weeks that they were coming in first or second and you were coming in third, fourth or fifth or sixth or seventh, you could look at them and say, Hey, what did they do right there? And what's great. And so it, it, it is a healthy competition and everybody's kind of learning together. It's almost like being part of a a pack of runners and you're all running a marathon together and you stay together for the first 15 miles or so. And then, Hey, at some point people break out if they can. Uh, But it's, it's explicitly constructed like that. Now post tell everybody a little bit about being in the Slack community um, that we've set up and, and, and overall the alumni network now, which is over a hundred uh, companies. Yeah, no, that I'm super excited, uh, about taking more advantage of that. Um, it's honestly, the support you get from the, uh, launch accelerator network is, yeah, it is, is bar none. Um, there's been plenty of times that I've seen someone post something. Um, we, we haven't been super active ourselves lately just because we've been so heads down, um, in, in the weeds right now, but yeah, it is absolutely amazing just the support you get from founders and honestly, how much they're willing, you know, to, to really go out of their way to, to really help you or jump on, you know, jump on a phone call afterwards um, or, you know, or a Zoom meeting um, and really cover in, in detail what you were asking about. All right. Listen, this has been great. Uh, thanks for coming on the pod. Everybody, um, if you want to help a startup, the best thing you can do is try their product um, or help or help them. uh you know, find an employee or invest in them. Those are the three things that founders find the most uh, important. So if you want to check out Aaron's company, it's Nude Bar, N-U-D-E-B-A-R-R-E. And you can follow them on Twitter. You can go to their website. And Instagram is uh, also a big channel for them. Thanks for coming on the pod, Aaron. 
Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. And uh, if your company needs tech support, and I know they do, go to techmate.com and uh, buy some hours or get a membership. And thanks for being on the pod, Nicole. Thank you so much. It was great. Uh, and finally, uh, if you're a trucker trying to build a business, you know what to do. Go to the Shopify of trucking at solo trucking.com. Thanks for coming on the pod, Armando. Jason, so good being on. And if you would like to come to the launch accelerator, just go to launch.co slash apply launch.co slash apply. And, uh, you know how to get me. I'm Jason on Twitter and Instagram. You can always reach out to me if you have questions. We'll see you all next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>